Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tremble, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Curtis. With me, as always, is Stephen Taylor. How are you two doing? Good. Yeah. I'm I'm on the fence right now, Kurt. I'm on the fence. I I had some good, and I had some bad. (laughs) I'm just kind of meh right now. Just kind of meh. That's yeah. a good way to describe basically this whole week for me, actually. It's just like, <laughs> oh, I'm just done now. I'm I'm ready for 2020 to just be over. Oh, yeah. for sure. I'm feeling the fatigue. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, like, we're all kind of in that same boat. But yeah. then when you're looking forward to, like, okay, I'm looking forward to 2020 being over, then you're at that same time you have that anxiety of, like, what's 2021 going to be? Oh, it's going to be so much worse. It's going to be like... <laughs> stop! Kurt, stop! Everyone's like, 2020 will be done. 2021 will be great. Nah, it's going to be so much worse. Don't You can't say that because I legitimately thought 2020 was going to be great at the start of this year. So I can't have that energy. <laughs> We're supposed to watch Black Widow and all this other stuff. Nope, nada. I was I supposed to play know. Cyberpunk 2077 in April. Oh, right? God, don't get me started on that. Oh, god. <laughs> oh my god and and like i don't even know uh i mean because as far as when we're recording this uh it was just announced that all of warner brothers 2021 slate is going to be available on hbo max at the same time as being theatrically re- released but i think like like i know that hbo max is just an, a, an american thing that we get yeah. bleed off on crave here in, in canada mm-hmm. but i think we're gonna get fucked on all these movies well, with Crave, I think they said they were going to put it on there after the theatrical run, but that's a little vague because we don't know when that would be, right? Like, yeah. who knows if that theatrical yeah. window will be regular or a little bit limited? Because I can't imagine they would wait, like, what is a typical theatrical run? Like, almost two months, something like that? Like, yeah, yeah. There's no way I think they're going to wait two months before they make this available on Crave, but who knows. But sad thing is, I hate to say this, but I, I read that and I thought, well, I guess the uh, Sailing the High Seas uh, websites are going to be pretty popular again. <laughs> Cause, you yeah, know, it, I don't it, think they're doing themselves any favors there. No. They, they could sh- have gotten a, a, a good boost for Crave's subscription rate. Yeah. Uh but no, I mean, it could have been a selling feature for them, but they're not even going to explore that. Like that sucks. No, and from what I've heard with HBO Max, they're only making the movies available for a month-long period, and mm-hmm. then they're taking mm-hmm. them off. So it's not like they're adding Wonder Woman eighty-four or the Conjuring sequel there, and it's just going to be on there. It's only going to ha- be on there for a month, which sure that's enough time, but really, you think about it, it's kind of weird that like it's. Warner Brothers is their own service, and yet you won't be able to access it after that. Yeah, so. yeah, it's disappointing. I hit up the reps, I guess, but I guess that's not matter. Yeah, 
Well, I know, like, Wonder Woman 84 is coming up, and, like, they want to do a screening, but all the theaters are closed. Then it's like, are they going to do a link? Probably not. It's, life's tough when you're a film critic. you got to watch a <laughs> bunch of bad, bad stuff like mm-hmm. Phantom of the Paradise. No, just kidding. You know what? I do like this movie. Mm-hmm. I know not every opinion will agree, but... Um, <laughs> This is one of Brian De Palma's... I, I don't know if it's, like, top-tier De Palma, but it's definitely no. one that I think people look at and go, well, this should be talked about a little bit more. And I can kind of see why it's a little different than his other movies. I think if you compare this to, like, Carrie or Scarface or Carlito's Way, like, there's definitely a difference to how this is made compared to his other movies, which I think is interesting, but I also I also think this movie's got a lot of flaws, but also some things that are interesting about it as well. Um, well, and it's got it's got Jessica Harper and some amazing reds, which is really great because that Suspiria connection yeah. mm-hmm. uh, is in there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's vibrant as all hell. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you gotta imagine in when, he, when De Palma made this movie, uh, it was a ballsy move. He the 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 biggest movie he had done at that point was um, uh, Sister. Sisters, yeah. which we reviewed on this show as well. Um, and like this was the next one right after it. So he gets some acclaim for making Sisters, and then goes right into this one, which was a complete box office failure at the time. Yeah. Uh, I think the only there was only one theater that kept it in theaters and they kept it in theaters for three months because it was so popular and it was in winnipeg manitoba canada <laughs> it's because there's nothing else going on there that's why yeah yeah, yeah you got to do something but you, you got to get some feathered hair paul williams well i know there. if you watch the documentary de palma which i would recommend mm-hmm. for everyone not just for this movie but for his other filmography it's interesting when it gets to this one because he's like yeah the french really love this movie and it played in some theater in winnipeg for quite some time but like even he seems kind of confused as to like what the hell happened with this movie um (laughs) and uh yeah i i don't think this is top tier de palma but i do think this is underrated in a lot of ways i think there's some cool ideas here and some interesting uh visual kind of images that they utilize especially with like the phantom and his look Mm -hmm. like that's such an iconic look and you see it like on t-shirts and other stuff nowadays so it's uh yeah uh let's see here uh the official summary of Phantom of the Paradise after record producer Swan steals the music of songwriter Winslow Leach and gives it to one of his bands. Leech sneaks into Swan's offices. Catching Leech, Swan frames him for dealing drugs, which lands him in prison. After Leech breaks out uh, and again attempts to sabotage Swan's empire, an accident crushes his face. Leech then dons a costume and becomes the Phantom, intent on ruining Swan while saving singer Phoenix from a terrible fate. Can we say that the blocking of the, the accident makes no sense? <laughs> oh yeah it's it, oh you mean like how does he get his head in there i don't understand also like that seems like a good amount of time to pull your head out <laughs> like i'm not saying like it would be always possible but it, it seems like he had a good amount of time to like just pull your head out before it gets mm-hmm. crushed 
I'm putting that as the dumbest decision. Not pulling your fucking head out. Oh, for sure. You know this is an Academy Award nominated movie? I can see that. Probably for like art direction or something like that. For score. Oh, yeah. I was going to say the music in this movie actually isn't that bad. It was was groovy. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, And there were some scenes that I was like walking along. Um, I think my biggest issue with this movie though is I don't know. It seemed like the only characters I really cared about were Phoenix and Beef, to be honest. And everyone else was just kind of like, yeah, they could stay, they could go, honestly. It, it doesn't really matter to me. I I, I want to see Beef put on a good show. I want to see Phoenix sing. Everything else honestly just kind of felt like it was background a little bit. And I don't Beef, know if that hits with anyone else, but... Beef was kind of funny because I always find it hilarious that like he comes and he's like, oh, got this gruff, kind of like manly sounding singing voice, and then just about some with how he really is and how feminine he yep. is. It's, it's just like, a, it's funny, it's very, um, yeah, I like that sort of joke, but it's also interesting how uh, the movie kind of covers different genres of music, too. Like, mm-hmm. when Swan's choosing the band, and it kind of goes through, like, your folk music, your country, or, like... Yeah. The different, uh, I think stuff like that can be kind of cool too, where it's like, okay, here's the different types of music. Um, mm-hmm. And also, Swan is just such a prick. Like, when you see him on the, on screen for the first time, you're like, yeah, this guy definitely would be me too nowadays. Like, <laughs> he literally watches recordings of women having sex in a room. So mm-hmm. that he pays them to do. So, well, maybe if they're paid, it's not that big a deal because he's, you know. Yeah, uh, give him something for it. But yeah, I I I did like uh, that scene where he's sitting at his desk and all the different musicians are playing music and with like mm-hmm. the black background. That was shot really cool, and I really liked that. Yeah, um, I thought it was funny how at the start of this movie when they introduced Swan, I was I thought to myself, he looks really young to be like most dudes <laughs> in that position are old and gross looking, and then you get to the end of the movie and that's like. No spoilers, but that's literally the reveal is that he's this old fucking dude who sold the soul of the devil, basically. Mm-hmm. So that was that was also one of my favorite parts of this movie, although that was maybe just my own internal thing. <laughs> yeah. This was the scene yeah. when like the Phantom tries to kill himself and Swan reveals like no, we're both under contract. I thought that was yeah. pretty funny too. It's like nah. <laughs> it's such a swerve too. It's yeah. such an interesting swerve sort of to be like he pulls the knife out and he's like, "Oh, you can't die until I'm dead." Didn't you read the contract? Yeah. But I, I mean, that round table at his big record desk, which is so symbolically cool, um, that's the best scene of the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, it, it it is such a, a cool indication of who Swan is as a person, and you got to remember that that uh, Paul Williams was also a huge songwriter behind the scenes so many hit songs and everything already at this point uh and uh and he was the singing voice for the phantom as well oh really that's awesome yeah which is really funny when he's doing all the tuning to to get rid of all of uh, the phantom's distortion and then when mm-hmm. he finally gets it and his voice comes through it's paul williams singing he looks at it and he goes perfect yeah <laughs> um what was the First time uh, you two watch this movie? Uh, for me, it was for the podcast, like normal. <laughs> God, some some point in the nineties, um, 
like I said, it's been a long time since I watched it, and there's just like, I, I think it just it, it was an indicator of how young I was when I watched it because there's so much I didn't notice filmmaking wise mm-hmm. about um, how awkward this movie is in a lot of points. The block, like I already talked about, the blocking in, in the disfiguring scenes really messed up. But even uh, uh, Phoenix's full audition, she sings that song and then she kind of dances off the stage and then comes back really awkwardly. Mm-hmm. Dude, were, it was so couple, weird. Uh, there was one too in the beginning where Phoenix and, oh, I've totally forgotten his character's name other than calling him the Phantom, but they meet uh, Winslow, I think. Yeah. They meet initially and they have this weird hug scene Mm-hmm. And I, where maybe I think I wrote down the line. Oh yeah, he says it means I think you're terrific. And then they have this weird, awkward hug. And like there were little things like that throughout the movie that was like, oh, he's a kind of weird dude, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's socially awkward. He's he's uh, possibly incel like. <laughs> like he's just like really strange. She's got glasses that are like an inch and a half thick, and. I, yeah, there's just I, I mean they do everything they can to to throw that that Winslow is a tragic character. There's there's no other way that you can look at him because that's his device. Yeah, and I, I mean the fact that Phoenix is so on board with getting that big old hug is like I, I think it just show like it's just like an indicator of the times of how uh, subservient that women were in these movies. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's not just even that hug scene. She gets on board really quickly with mm-hmm. Swan's plans, like way quicker than I would assume. Considering she was so pent up about I'm a singer and I don't want to be involved in all this, and then as soon as one throws her some crumbs, she's like, "Yeah, all right, cool. I've sold yeah. myself, whatever." And it's Which, like, who are you? Are you even that same person? Like, yeah. it yeah. was really confusing to me. Well, then that that leads to that's that's like part of the worst decision in this movie, I think, and it, it comes it just when he she's basically like caressing Swan on that bed, and the Phantom's watching, and like the weirdest mm-hmm. voyeur away from that skylight, and yeah. you're like, this is fucked up. Like I don't understand. Like Phoenix doesn't have any ulterior motive at mm-hmm. that point, other than her own career and stuff, and it's just kind of. In this day and age, it's just murky and gross. Yeah. yeah. And, like, they it's they kind of show scenes of her doing drugs, and I feel like that was their way of saying, oh, yeah, no, she's just drugged up now, and so she can't see anything, or blah, blah, blah. Mm. But it was still that initial, like, when Swan was like, no, sing for me. And it's like, he's still this creepy dude who's looking for naked women to be on stage for him, and you're just gonna, okay. I mean, I'm gonna go on a rant if I go on too long for this, but, yeah. <laughs> Please tell me we're going to talk about talk about the pubic bikinis in this movie. <laughs> That's the theme I've noticed through all of the De Palma films. Lots of bikinis. Lots and lots yeah. of bikinis. Some bush here and there. <laughs> he's definitely but, a bit of a voyeur in that regard. You know, love De Palma, but uh, maybe he's a bit of a creep. Well, and it's what he moved into predominantly because, I mean, since Snake Eyes... Well, he makes his erotic thrillers. That's that's his yeah. his tier. You know what I mean. And mm-hmm. and anytime anybody else tries to make a erotic thriller, it is automatically compared to um, a De Palma film. It's just the way it is. Yeah. So uh, I mean, there's glimp. There honestly, there's glimpses of every single hit movie that he's done since in this movie. Yeah. 
it definitely that's I think like when I'm being optimistic about this movie there are parts of this I go okay this is maybe like an idea that he carried forward in Scarface mm-hmm. or yep. you know his other later movies and part of me thinks okay that's great but then part of me also thinks a lot of these are a little rough around the edges mm-hmm. um, and there's a, a the few moments of brilliance I think are undercut by yep. some pretty questionable decisions yeah i mean well like okay like let's look at the let's look at his next films after it so obsession very big part of phantom of the paradise just just the the key term obsession uh Mm -hmm. carrie i mean beef gets roasted on stage in front of a whole audience much like in carrie yeah uh i mean the fury which we're going to talk about there's connections in there as well dress to kill i mean winslow dresses up like a woman to try to get through yeah uh, Scarface, I mean, the colors. The colors are just like, huge in this one. Blow, it has to do with audio recordings, another big piece of this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much involved in it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing about this. I think it'd be interesting to see if someone's ever like done a deep dive in terms of like what does um, what has been done in this that w- was carried over to his other movies. Cause I think there's a lot mm-hmm. there. Be kind of curious to see if someone has done that yet. But well, it, it's interesting because the De Palma documentary seems to linger on Phantom of the Paradise quite a bit in the beginning of his career because mm-hmm. I think for that exact reason, yeah, uh, because more than Sisters and more than uh, High Mom or anything that he did with De Niro beforehand, um, yeah, this indicates a lot of his career. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right. Let's. Uh, oh, my first time. I don't think I've discussed it. I um, I watched this in university. I actually took like a film studies class, and the teacher did like a couple weeks on De Palma, and we had to like choose a De Palma film to talk about. And I don't know why. I think it was like looking at the imagery of this movie. I was like, I want to write about Phantom of the Paradise, so. I, like, did a whole essay on it and everything, and I was like, okay, I, I actually at the time remember, like, fondly enjoying it, but I think, looking back on it, I think I can see how a 20-year-old would think, maybe think this movie is pretty cool, and then you get a little older, you're like, eh, maybe not so much anymore, but, yeah, I, I think it still has some redeemable values, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of issues with this film as well. I, I think the sound mix on, on a couple of the songs are just like because there's so much going on on the side yeah that that it, it feels really dicey and trying to like appreciate it as like a rock opera in those parts mm-hmm. but the split screen scene where he he blows up the car is so well done still to this day. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say that that split screen was fun. I liked that a lot. Yeah. And this, like, thinking back, if this is like marketed as some sort of rock opera, mm-hmm. especially having the opening scene be a song, it there wasn't a lot of there wasn't enough music in it for me to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, I feel like there should have been more. Maybe it's I'm just used to things being more musical, where mm-hmm. characters right. sing their feelings and sing the plot maybe more often. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it almost felt like maybe there was something missing from it to be called uh, like a rock opera horror, yeah. right? Like it, it was, 
I don't know. But I think I think maybe Kurt's right. It's just it's a little rough around the edges. There's there's some things there that could work, but they just the connecting pieces don't connect them well enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's there's still that deep. Uh, I mean, because this is still De Palma kind of still stretching his legs out and figuring mm-hmm. out who he is as a filmmaker. So he's still very much caught up in homaging and and definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, towards like his inspiration alfred hitchcock i mean because that split screen thing comes from hitchcock there's a yeah. full-on shower uh psycho shower sequence that that's mirrored oh. <laughs> uh there's there's a handful of different things in this that are very hitchcockian the hand yeah. uh, i mean swan the fact that you just see the gloved hands first yeah. very hitchcock mm-hmm. yeah uh, you could just you can tell that this is the massive influence on it but at the same time it's also this bright vibrant thing that that um hitchcock wouldn't have made you know what i mean so it's like a dichotomy within itself Mm -hmm. yeah it does sometimes feel like almost this movie tries to be a parody of it in some ways and it also sometimes feels like it's not quite properly understanding that yeah Um, yeah, like the psycho shower scene is actually pretty funny when I think about it. But then I also think I'm like, I don't know, oh, is that supposed to be funny? Was it supposed to be played seriously? Like, it feels like it should be a little more serious than it is. But he uses a plunger. Yeah, for the guys to to beef's face. It's pretty funny. But again, I don't know <laughs> if it's supposed to be funny. I think maybe it's supposed to be serious. I it, mm-hmm. it, it feels very totally mismatched, which is mm-hmm. yeah. part of my issue. With well, the other thing about it that I, I find interesting uh, is this is a takeoff on the Phantom of the Opera, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have a Phantom, you have a quote-unquote Christine in uh, in uh, uh, Phoenix, and then you have kind of like like if we're talking about like the two thousand five. A Schumacher one, you have like a Kieran Hens, like a guy that runs it all because it's Swan. Yeah. You don't have a Raul in this movie though, like a Patrick Wilson. Yeah. You don't have you don't have a normal like not like yeah, like a normal love interest or 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 kind of the hero to save the damsel in distress. You don't have that in this movie. Yeah. Cause that essentially gets rolled into the same character as as Winslow. Yeah. Though it's not earned whatsoever. No. Um yeah, I think that's kind of... I think you could tell this is definitely, like, early De Palma too, because it, it doesn't have that polish that you get with some of his later movies. And I, I like early De Palma for some things, but I, I think even, like, when we were watching Sisters, I kind of realized this, like, it's very non-polished. There's, there's certainly, mm-hmm. like, a, a lack of that finesse that he's developed over the years in that early work. And I think that was part of my main issue with his, like... I could see what he was going for, but I could also see that he just maybe lacked the skills to accomplish his vision. Where later on in his career, you know, he he seemed to definitely be more in line with that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, cool. Well, we got a couple of emails uh, about this. Uh, Brian says this movie felt so similar to Rocky Horror Picture Show. Do you think there are any similarities? Yeah, Jessica Harper was in Shock Treatment, which was a sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. She played Janet. Because I think Phantom of the Paradise came out one year before Mm -hmm. Rocky Horror Mm -hmm. Picture Show. 
I think Rocky Horror Picture Show, the music is more critical to the plot and the overall mm -hmm. telling, uh, the overall movie than Phantom of the Paradise, where it almost oftentimes seems like it's a background element of the movie. Mm -hmm. so, I don't and know Rocky Horror Picture Show is so freaking polished. Yeah. It is so brilliantly edited. It is so well blocked. And I mean, it's all the things that Phantom is missing. Yeah, and, and the characters just seem to have more character. Like, they seem to have more personality. Yeah. Whereas whereas the, the personalities of the characters in this movie was very just dependent on their situation that they were in, as opposed mm -hmm. to them having, I don't know, anything well, else about them. Well, yeah. and, and everything that is established about Winslow is thrown out the window as soon as he becomes Phantom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's a completely new character. Mm -hmm. And not to say that I don't like this movie, because I do kind of... I'm a little bit lower th than I maybe initially was when I first saw this, but, like, I still generally enjoy this, but I do... I don't think you can compare the two, because they feel like different movies. Um, I think if you're looking on a superficial level, yeah, there's some similarities, but I think once you kind of get past mm -hmm. the sort of surface-level stuff, it's pretty apparent that they're different movies well and and it's i mean i have to hand it to de palma because he has rod serling open up this movie yeah as the narrator yeah. and that's so atmospherically perfect i yeah. loved that opening i had such yeah. high hopes after that opening because yeah. anything that starts with a song and gets me grooving i'm into yeah. it oh it's a total setup it's 100 percent a setup yeah you get that juicy fruits starting mm -hmm. and then which, he kills the Juicy Fruits and resurrects them as a new band? Makes sense. <laughs> That's what I felt like in it. That's what I felt like happened. Like, he killed them and then resurrected them. Because he's got, he's, you know, uh, which, which you clunkily find out that he's he has this deal with the devil. Yeah. He's, yeah, because they, 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 when they, they're reintroduced, they're, like, moving differently. They have, like, this kind of blankness to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's canon. I'm going to believe that is canon now. Yeah. yeah. Just roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Scott says, watching this, I thought I'd love to see a stage adaptation of the story. Oh, that'd be so tough. I mean, honestly, considering that it's, kind of like phantom of the opera it would probably do really well on stage it's already got a bunch of stage acts in it you know yeah it's an emulation of that style so if you take that emulation and just sort of put it into that style i don't see why it wouldn't work but yeah yeah i don't know if anyone would really care to be honest like, <laughs> in 2021 if you came out with phantom of the paradise stage show i don't think anyone would show up if I'm being oh my mean, god but if you it, do it in that 70s garish yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, I'm just wondering, like, who would show up for that? Like, maybe the horror community, maybe, you know, it's just interesting. I would probably want to check it out, but I also feel like I'd get there and be like me and 10 other people and be like, great. <laughs> you know, though, <laughs> if they really fine tuned it, I think this would be so much fun. Like, just yeah. to sh go and see it as a stage play and see people, like, basically die electrocuted on stage, you know? Like, I think that <laughs> stuff would be really fun. It just yeah. needs to be a bit fine-tuned. Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. There's potential for it, for sure. Okay. Um, best line in this movie. 
Uh, I actually had a, a number of lines that I liked. Um, when Swan's trying to convince Beef to sing the song, he says, you can sing it better than any bitch. And you can tell that that's, he knows mm -hmm. exactly what to say to Beef to get him to, mm -hmm. to do it. Uh, I also uh, made a note that the opening song was really good. I really liked that. Um, and then, yeah, when Swan, uh, when the Phantom tries to kill himself and Swan comes up and says, you gave up your right to rest in peace when you signed this contract. Those were great. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those, those, those were good, really good lines. I, I love the opening Rod Serling um, crawl. I really... The threat, the threat from uh, Phantom to the Beef, and never sing my music again. Not here, not anywhere. Do you understand? Never again. My music is for Phoenix. Only she can sing it. Anyone else who tries, die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I dig that. I dig that. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, Swan when he says an assassination live on television, coast to coast. That's entertainment. Well, yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. <laughs> that would probably do pretty well. So. Honestly, yeah. That would that would that would definitely get some attention. Uh, best performance in this movie. Uh, I have Phoenix and Beef because they were my favorite characters. Uh, I I gotta go with uh, Paul Williams. Interesting. Uh, Swan is just such a smarmy creep, and yeah. I mean he's juggling. He, he's trying to juggle so much, being a formidable. Uh, trying to be appealing at the same time uh and i don't know he, he, there, there's also something really false about how he looks and when you see him in, in his flashback you realize how false it really is mm -hmm. um and i i am so much of this movie hinges on not just swan as a character but everything that paul williams is doing for this movie he is he is moving in tandem with brian de palma to make this movie mm. yeah um, yeah, I, I would go with William Finley. I think he hams it up quite a bit as Winslow slash the Phantom. Mm -hmm. But I think he he kind of also seems mildly self-aware of the movie that he's in. So I, I'd probably give it to him. I just, I find his his lines and his actions are, are maybe sometimes a little cheesy, but I think when you take a look at the movies and you're like, oh, that, well, that makes sense. So... <laughs> Yeah. A quick, quick question: Is it ever established how Swan loses his face? He just kind of appears wearing the mask, and he's all fucked up underneath, right? Mm. Is there any establishing between the last time we see Swan and he looks normal to being the masked, scarred face version of Swan that that closes out the film? Well, he was all, like, bloodied up at the end, right? But I don't know if that... Yeah, but was there any transition between normal-faced him and that version? I don't remember, but I'm going to yeah. be honest. There were parts where I was 100% or not 100% paying attention. I kind of <laughs> out. So I, I have no memory of that, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, that's like me and the Fury. <laughs> <laughs> Which we'll get to in a bit, but... Uh... Yeah, I uh, I don't remember there being any connection like that. So, um, okay, let's see. Uh, best kill. I'd go with Swan at the end. That was pretty good. I thought good lead up to that and whatnot. So, beef. 
Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, but I feel like I've said beef too much this podcast. Beef? That's huh. amazing. Just beef. That was uh, good. I, I thought I thought it was the way that he was electrocuted and he was like, the way that that scene was shot was actually really fun. Yeah. No, Beef as a character I thought was pretty pretty interesting. So I was And I like that they used, um, an, it looked like a lightning bolt that actually came and swung down at him, like just to really hit the nail on the head that he was getting electrocuted. Yeah, just to really hammer the point home. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Steve. Did you mention what your favorite kill was? Yeah, beef. Oh yeah, yeah, beef, beef for on. sure. Beef. Uh, dumbest decision in this movie. Not pulling your fucking head out from a record press. I'll put yeah, that that was fucking stupid. Yeah. There's a lot of dumb decisions. Uh, when I got to the end of the movie, though, I'm gonna be real honest. My dumbest decision was not. He had his teeth replaced with like sharp metal teeth, and he didn't use them as weapons at all. And I was not very once. disappointed by that. Very no. disappointed. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, Dave Batista in Spectre, where they they they're like reveal that he's got these crazy thumbs. He kills one person with them, and then they don't come up again. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting Game of Thrones flashbacks. You know, like I uh, uh, use your teeth; they're so cool. I thought that was going to be like a, a setup to something, and it never happened. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> so can I can I uh, just a quick story about the beef death? Yeah. Um, so the producers screened the movie for Peter Grant, who was the infamous manager of Led Zeppelin, like one of the greatest managers to ever live, blah, 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 right? Yeah. So uh, in order to note all the references to Swan Song Records, they would have to, because they would have to be altered because that's it's Led Zeppelin's company. Uh, during the scene where Brief is electrocuted, Grant just burst into tears. Because the scene reminded him, of a, reminded him of an onstage electrocution death of Les Harvey, who was the lead singer of a band called Stone the Crows, who was managed by Grant. And oh then the producers God. had to tell him uh, that it was, you know, we know you're upset, but it's really unlikely that De Palma is going to remove this scene from the movie because it's a big piece of it. <laughs> wow. That would be tough to deal with. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's like first, first you're like, oh man, this really reminds me of that that thing that happened, and then they're like, oh yeah, no, they're not taking it out because it was based on that thing that it's reminding you of. Yeah, so, yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> it's a trigger. Well, I, I mean, in in today's day and age, we we call it a trigger scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or or I mean, I guess basically PTSD. But yep, hundred percent. Just wasn't acknowledged then. I mean, seventy like seventy four, seventy three was probably when this was screened for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as if that they're acknowledging any kind of mental trauma at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's time to rate this movie. What would you give this a score of? Um, I'm gonna rock with a seven. Okay. Uh, it, it paled a bit. It's still entertaining in that cult campy sort of way. Um, it's definitely not my favorite. Alma. Yeah. But um it's still it's still entertaining. My wife was like not into this move. She was just like, when is this gonna be over? <laughs> so Fair. that's the uh, yin yang of it. 
Yeah, I I, ha I probably would have agreed with her a little bit because there were times towards the end that I was like, okay, I already know what's going to happen. Like, he's going to come, kill the guy. Everyone's going to die except for the girl. Like, uh, it's like, I don't know why. It was just even after all of the fun parts of this movie, I was still going to check out at the end. And I would pro I'd probably give this movie like a six. A five feels too low, so maybe like 5.5, but six, I think six is good. Okay. I'd give it like a, uh, an 8 out of 10. I think this movie definitely suffers a little bit, but I try to look at the positives. of like, okay, there were some elements of early De Palma here, and I think if you watch Carrie or some of his other films, uh, it'd be interesting to go back and watch this because I think you start to notice his style a little more. And I think just as a director, he has so many great horror movies and i kind of want to cover some more like raising game i know is one that i yes. to talk about at one point so and dress to kill the dress to kill is not it's it's more mystery thriller mm -hmm. um but i think dress to kill would be a really great movie i think it would be a really good pairing with raising cane honestly Which i mean can one? i can i say something kind of controversial mm. was was this was this scary was this horror i mean I, I understand. I don't want to be one of those people, but like, I don't know. I don't know if anything in this was really scary or uh, horrific to me. IMDb doesn't classify it as a horror. They say comedy, drama, fantasy. They do not classify it as a horror film. And and that was kind of confusing to me when I went to look this movie up too, because when I looked yeah. it up, I thought I was watching the wrong movie at first. Oh. Um, but I mean, I, well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. Maybe I've just been ruined by how good horror's gotten lately. Maybe, and so maybe. looking back, it's kind of just like, eh. I think like it's, I think it's, it's more horror than the Fury is. Yeah, and the Fury is classified as horror. But I was gonna say kind of the opposite because I thought the themes of the Fury were a little more horrific, with like people being like literally kidnapped against their will, kind of thing. Whereas mm -hmm. this was a little more. I guess deal with the devil is pretty horror, so never mind. I think if you look at like <laughs> it has a monster, so yeah, yeah, that's true. Like the Phantom of the Opera being horror, I think that's maybe where they were leading towards it being horror because it's like, well, if you're emulating that and that's horror, you know. But I don't think it's as horrifying as it could be. Like there's some blood and gore, uh, there's some t you know relatively suspenseful bits, but it's not. It's not going to be anything like hereditary or anything like that by a long shot. So mm -hmm. yeah, and, and I think opening it with a song too. I had expectations it would be, I don't know, balanced I, out a little bit, but it wasn't. So. Hear that, uh, Ari Aster? You should do you uh, like your fat about the paradise. Just do some weird. <laughs> On it, if Ari Aster did a musical, I don't have high hopes that it would be super great because he's not a musical guy. But honestly, I would be down. <laughs> It'd just be so depressing, but also like full of cheery music. <laughs> yeah, I'd be into it. I'd be into it. I might be the only one. Who knows? But. I I don't know if you saw. Uh, speaking of Ari, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, A twenty four is selling replicas of uh, Charlie's head. Oh, oh awesome. my! For those ultimate hereditary fans, that would be a great gift for the holiday season. Here, mom. Here. <laughs> In a box. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> Be a great uh, tree topper, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Your Christmas tree and just put Charlie's head right on top. 
Yeah, and then and then you can uh, make way for uh, what the fuck's his name again? <laughs> you can make way for the the uh, the demon that takes over. Uh, oh, um, I, I'm, takes Pagan? over Peter at the end. Payman. There Pagan? we go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. The Tree House of Horror. <laughs> Christmas has changed this year. <laughs> Honestly, Christmas needs a little more horror. It's a little too lighthearted for my taste. True. All right, uh, Steve. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram at the Steve Dead. My website is stevestebbing.ca. Uh, every Thursday night, I put up uh, basically everything that you can check out in that week, uh, as well as uh, a couple little goodies, uh, my geek notes that I've been uh, I, I've been lucky to receive or stumble upon. Uh, and then I'm on the shift on every Thursday night at 11 p.m. Pacific uh, with Shane Hewitt, who is now the permanent host, uh, nice. which is very cool. We we get along quite well. He's not really a movie guy, but uh, I am, so I offset that one. Uh, nice. And I'm totally up to date now on my letterbox. Uh, it took Ooh, a few weeks, but oh my god, I was just hammering. If you followed me on there, you're probably so annoyed to see your timeline just filled with all my reviews but i just wanted to get caught up and now i am caught up uh and if you look at any of the horror films that i've reviewed uh it would have links to the tremble episode so that's great just yeah. in case people want to watch it and then listen to our full thoughts it's great exactly idea. cool taylor where can people find you in the uh, mostly on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, my username is Darcyanic, and I have a blog that I will post on if I'm doing anything else, uh, URL is darcyanic.home.blog. Nice. I'm over at 3 where we're usually having a great old time. We just, uh, ha- had some new, uh, blood join in on... Green Green Nerds, named Spark, so check that out. We did a movie commentary for Gremlins. That was pretty fun. Nice. Yeah, Ethan had never seen the movie, so he was like, what the fuck's happening? (laughs) Don't. Got to the scene where the the old woman, Mrs. Deagle, sits on her little stair um, Mm -hmm. seat, and I'm like, this is the greatest scene of this movie, 100%. Joe Dante is so underrated. Yeah. Maybe we should do some Joe Dante some stuff. Hell yes. The burbs, man. The burbs. So good. Oh, good. Well, until next time, when we talk about the Fury. Bye for now.